right, we are back with another episode. Back from Vegas in the Mint Collective. Welcome to the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner and my partner here is Brandon Turner. We are your father-son team and the host of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's show. As a quick reminder, we like to point out at the top of every show that we're independent. We do not take sponsorships and we do not get paid by anybody that we talk about in our show. That's very much intentional so that you guys can rest assured that the information we provide is unbiased and is not financially motivated. Okay, so this is show number 23. We've got a lot of good stuff to get to today. So why don't you go ahead and give the rundown of the show and then we'll jump right in. Yep. Well, first, uh, it's mail day today, so we're going to review the grades we got in a PSA submission that just popped in, and we'll also touch on some of our recent buying and selling, keeping up with our tradition of looking at athletes that wore the jersey number of our show number, which is 23 today. We'll also provide our take on our experience at the Mint Collective, and as well as our take on Drake's influence in the hobby. We've then got a historic moment in sports segment today. It's fitting for the upcoming March Madness Final Four weekend. You can probably guess what that is. I don't know. Maybe not. I bet you can. Uh, then we'll cover all the latest hobby news in the halftime report, including some pretty big grading company news, so you're not going to want to miss that. We're also going to touch on some of the upcoming card releases, as usual. Yeah, and then there was a monster pull on loop last night from one of the Topps card releases, so stay tuned, and we'll we'll give you more information on what that was. And then finally, in the film study segment, we got soccer, football, uh, basically one thing, and golf, and some baseball news to cover. We'll also touch on the playoff races in hockey and basketball, and that will do it. Yeah, that one thing in golf is a big thing, though. Possibly, anyway. All right, that's a lot of good stuff. It's never a dull moment in the hobby, so let's get right to it. All right, before we talk about our mail day, let's welcome any new listeners to the show. Absolutely. If you are new to the show, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you enjoy it. Yeah, I second that. And please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell all your friends and family about us. And drop us a line. Email us. Message us on social media. Tell us what you like, don't like. We do want your feedback because we truly use it to make improvements and make the show more enjoyable for everyone. It's your show, and we want to hear from you. All right, so you had some grades come in. I did have some grades pop. So remember, we talked about a couple of... We've talked about all of our PSA submissions, but two of which the grades popped on one um one the first order was the uh one where we had the 1975 tops the rookie robin yount the rookie george brett a 73 tops rookie mike schmidt a 76 tops rookie walter payton and then we had a uh, 2018 rookie walker bueller which was the tops chrome sapphire edition it was the red parallel which is serial numbered to 10 and I believe we have the number one out of that 10. So anyway, so in that order, I was excited because pretty much everything came back as expected. The only one that didn't was the Robin Yount, which we may have touched on that last time. I can't remember. But the, the George Brett got a seven, so I was excited about that. I thought it could possibly get a six if they graded tough, but it did get the seven. Uh, the Mike Schmidt got a six, which I was happy about. I thought there was a shot that that could get a lower grade, so that was good. The Walter Payton which may be one of my favorite ones in the bunch, Sweetness. He uh, got a six on that one, so I was ex- that was kind of what I was expecting. Thought there was a shot it could get a five, so I was happy about that. And then the Bueller, now that one was clean. I really thought I had a good shot at a 10. It got a nine, so that wasn't great, but you know it's serial numbered to 10, so there's only 10 of these things. I believe this might have been the first one graded. Could be wrong about that, so that'll... 
that'll help with the value. And then we got the bigger news. We've got the 1988 Fleer basketball cards. Remember, that's the year, the Scottie Pippen rookie, Dennis Rodman rookie, and then there were three Jordans in there. There's an all-star card, a base card, and then there's a sticker. And while we didn't get the grades we were hoping for on the Pippen and the Jordan, uh, we got an eight on the Pippen, thought we could get a nine, got a uh, uh, seven on the Jordan, thought we could get an eight. We did get a nine on the Jordan All-Star, so that was good. And then we, the big one was Dennis Rodman because we gemmed on that, which was awesome. I thought, I thought it could get a gem. Actually, I thought the Pippen could get a gem, frankly, too. And, but I was afraid maybe it would get a nine, but it gemmed out. So that's really nice. That Dennis Rodman rookie in a PSA 10, there's only a couple hundred of those in existence. And so that makes the entire order, in fact, probably all the orders we've submitted with PSA makes them all worth it because that, that card is probably worth mm, around, well, the last one that sold was almost $4,000 just a couple weeks ago. So that was cool. So excited to get those back and have those part of the collection. Uh, what, what else we got? What else we want to do? What did you want to talk about the buys and sells that you did? Yeah, we definitely want to do that. Let's save some of that though, because we're going to, when we talk about our experience of the mint collective, we'll touch on that because most of the buying and selling we did was there, was done there at the show. All right. Then Jersey numbers. Yeah. Let's do the Jersey numbers. This is obviously show number 23. It's a big one. I mean, obviously you have probably the two biggest Michael Jordan, of course, and LeBron James. I'm sure there's several people I have missing that, that should be on this list. There are a lot of people you could add, but trying to get a mix of different uh, athletes from different sports. You have David Beckham, uh, at least while he was with uh, Real Madrid and the LA Galaxy. He actually wore seven when he was with Manchester United, but he did wear 23 with the Galaxy and with Real Madrid. Uh, Bob Gainey in hockey, uh, his actually number 23 is retired by the Montreal Canadiens. Then Ryan Sandberg is a big one in baseball. The Cubs, his rookies in that 1983 top set. Uh, Troy Vincent in football. David Justice in baseball. That's a name we don't probably talk about enough. Don Mattingly, we talked about him last time. He wore number 23. Frank Ramsey in basketball. Celtics. I didn't realize his jersey number 23 is retired with the Celtics. Did Mm -hmm. you know that? I didn't, actually. I did not know that either. Uh, One that's near and dear to my heart is Kurt Gibson. Started his career with the Detroit Tigers, but had a stint with the Dodgers, and probably one of my all-time favorite plays in the history of the Dodgers is when he, you remember, have you seen the the highlights of that? He comes limping out. He was hurt, didn't play. It was like game, I forget what it was, game five, six, seven, whatever it was of the World Series against the A's. He comes limping out to pinch hit in the, I think it was the, I can't, I think it was the bottom of the ninth, and he can like barely walk or whatever goes up there hits a home run to win the game no, walk I off I didn't, no. walk off home run and he's like he has that when he goes rounding around first and he's doing the fist pump and everything it's like a, oh it's a classic i get goosebumps every time i think about it but so that was that's a good one draymond green love draymond yeah with the warriors and then maya moore who's actually a, a legend in the wnba and uh, i think holds a, a number of of records there I mean, you know, it's kind of unfair. In a lot of ways, you got to go Michael Jordan and LeBron James. But I think, I don't know, when I look at that list, I, I might end up going Kirk Gibson just because of that one play with the Dodgers in the fair series. Enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. What are you, you're, you're going to go Draymond? No, I'm going to go Michael Jordan. All right. <laughs> but I like Draymond Green. Yeah. One of my favorite players. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's uh, let's see. Let's move on and talk about the Mint Collective, give our experience, because we are back from Vegas. It was a quick trip. Flew out on Friday, spent the day Saturday, and basically had to turn around and come back Sunday. So we unfortunately did miss. A f- so they had some sessions on Sunday morning up until about noon. We weren't able to attend those because we had to get a flight out early to get back in time for you had school. I had work the next day on Monday. Um, so it was a quick turnaround, but it was a fun trip. I thought it was a, a good show. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about, I mean, what were your impressions? What did you think? It was probably the first, well, first one that anyone went to. That was the first event of its kind like that for the hobby. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was a first for everybody. What were your thoughts? I mean, it was just basically like a card show, really. Um, but different because you had the sessions. I mean, you had the sessions, but like I really thought it was going to be more like that was going to be a bigger part of it the conference part of it like the top speakers yeah like i thought that was like the main thing but like half people that were there didn't even like couldn't even get in there yeah like you were only there for the market which i didn't think was the case because they had different tickets the the certain tickets you could get into the sessions, but they were more expensive and that's probably why some of the you know but that's what i thought the point of this was was that it was like it was a conference it wasn't a show yeah it was that that is what the point of it was it's yeah it's an interesting but then like why lock out like half the people it's so weird well they didn't lock them out it was just that yeah i mean i guess pricing wise like we were in some of those sessions and there was like there was maybe like 30 people in some of those the first one we were in there was packed but like some of the other ones we went to there were like barely anybody yeah they definitely had an opportunity to fill more seats that was just and they did yeah i think some of that was because the tickets were pricey right Mm -hmm. i mean and i will say that's the thing what i was talking about kind of a glorified card show yeah but it was fun though you had a good time right yeah i mean and and we heard we got an opportunity to meet a lot of great people in the hobby and a lot of people that are um you know run the companies that we talk about every day so that was fun and hopefully we'll you know we tried to make some contacts and get an opportunity to uh get some of those folks to come on our show and do guest interviews with us so we're looking forward to maybe having some of that happen in the in the next you know few shows but yeah it was i mean definitely the, the tickets were too expensive I, I was talking to my buddy like whatever happened to the days of vegas where they give you low airfare low you know hotel prices all that to, in order to get you out there to spend your money on the tables it was expensive between the airfare the hotel and then the cost of the tickets to do the sessions because full retail price on those i think was 700 dollars a ticket now th- there were places you could go get a discount for a couple hundred dollars off or whatever but you're still you're spending you know four or five hundred dollars whatever it was on a ticket so that's not cheap and when you throw in the airfare and the hotel stay and everything else that goes along with it you kind of don't you know no room for or not a lot of room for card spending on top of it once you spend on all of that but uh but yeah but it was fun it was good um what was your we we went what was your favorite session that we attended the first one yeah with peyton yeah Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first, the opening, the keynote address, they call it, was done by Peyton Manning. Well, it was, first of all, it was Ezra Levine with Collectible. He's the CEO of Collectible, the fractional ownership platform we talk about all the time. Thought he gave a nice introduction. It was really well done. And then Peyton Manning and Josh Luber came out, gave, you know, they t- did, did kind of a Q&A with them that was interesting. Peyton's funny. I mean, he got, you know, that guy should have been a comedian. Thought it was funny he mentioned that he had just joined instagram for his 46th birthday yeah i remember that <laughs> and then said that um he talked i thought one thing was funny it actually made news too i saw literally a story published on cbs sports about it, it said uh tom Brady or uh peyton manning wrote a letter 
to Tom Brady about his retirement. And now that he's unretired, he wants to take that back and take his bottle of wine back mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah, that's <laughs> He funny. told that story about how he sent Tom a bottle of wine, said a bunch of nice things about him, <laughs> and then he unretired. He wants to take all that back. That was funny. Josh Luber had some interesting things to say. First, the one that was interesting, Fanatics has over 80 million people, sports fans, in its database. That's a big number. I didn't catch that. Yeah. And... Because he was talking about how he thinks there's a couple million people maybe in the hobby that truly collect. I th- I don't know, you know, how you come up with those numbers. I actually think it's a lot more than that. But um, maybe it's maybe that's the hardcore collectors. I don't know. Anyway, but nonetheless, he was talking about how they, you know, because they want to expand the space. So he was talking about how they need to make it easier for people to buy and sell cards, and talked about all the people that Fanatics has in their database and and ways in which they can try to reach all of those people. One thing he did say is that boxes, the boxes, or as you like to say, packs, since there's only one pack in the box, are going to be designed. Not boxes if it's one pack. I know. That's just stupid. No, I know. I hear you. But they said their boxes are going to be designed to be collectible. And, And then, which I think that part of it's cool, but then they took it to the next step, which is there would be parallels of, no. the, of the boxes. See, that's too much. That's just like, yeah, no, I heard him say that, and I was like, dude, this is kind of ridiculous. But I will say is that I thought this is what they, when someone like asked that or whatever, I thought they were more going for like the whole like, well, A, just like making the box look cool and that just be it, not make it an actual collectible, but also like have like the experience of opening the box be like fun. I thought that's where they were going, but that's not where they went. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, like hollows," and I was like, "That's stupid." Yeah, I mean, I, like I thought they like, but like I think, I think like really more so, you should look at taking like the Apple approach of making the box like nice and like fun to open, and like you don't want to get rid of it. Right. You don't need to make it a collectible. Though. That's just too much. It's kind of dumb. Well, it does, and especially if you start making parallels. Like now, we're gonna have collectibles of collectibles of collectible. I don't know. At some point, it like, feels just like make it's the box too... look cool, but you don't need to make it like a thing. Yeah, I think like, it becomes exhausting. Like I, like, like I, like I got my curry shoebox still because I think that's cool. Right. Most people don't really throw out their Apple um, boxes for at least a week. Yeah. You know that sort of thing but yeah at some point it just becomes too dilutive and then ebay said some interesting things they said sports cards have been growing the uh, for a long time um, the, i forget the gentleman's name that was uh, up there uh, basically overseas i think the sports card division for ebay he said it's a multi-billion dollar business for them a cornerstone category uh, trading cards are a vanguard of a bigger collectible boom that's happening right now were his comments and he said he sees the digital and physical areas, meaning sort of like NFTs along with physical cards coming together where maybe the digital can tell the story and quote-unquote travel with the physical card. He talked about their vault, which we've talked about in our previous halftime reports, how that's going to be an important strategy for them, kind of become a virtual and perpetual card show, if you will, and kind of support the almost a stock market-like feature of being able to trade cards and do it fast and efficient with kind of real-time trading without any logistical delays so that if something happens you know in a game or news breaks you can just take your card it fits in the vault you can just immediately list it for sale or you can buy something else and it can just go right sort of back and forth to that vault you don't have to sort of wait for it to be shipped to you and all that so for people that are into that buying and selling and want to kind of you know 
participate in the hobby for the financial and the investment aspect of it i think that makes a ton of sense obviously for those of us that are and myself as part i'm kind of maybe both right i like the investment part of it maybe longer term i'm not a flipper but but i'm also in it for the collecting part and i think the collectors like you know to get the card in your hand you don't want to necessarily have it sitting in a vault somewhere you want to be able to look at it and see it it's physical touch it and that type of thing and show it to friends or family or whatever there is we talked about it before they, there's going to be a reality show coming out about golden auctions and ken golden who's the founder of that peyton manning and his omaha production unit is involved with that as were the guys from pawn stars they were also part of that keynote the guys that produced pawn stars produce yeah that, that produced pawn stars sorry they're part of that keynote address uh, Josh Luber did spill the beans on the next Zero Cool release. It's I'm, I can't say the name because we're a family-friendly show, but it's um, it's a donkey. It's the <laughs> just think yeah. of it that way. It's another name for a donkey. It's based on the movie of that name. And now I didn't see Gary V present at the show. I heard a couple people say they thought they saw him there, but I didn't see him, so I thought that might have been a missed opportunity. They, but any- they, no, he was not there. The people up there said he was not there. So yeah. If anyone said they probably saw him, they probably didn't. Yeah, yeah. Unless they were lying, but I doubt it. Yep. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not – I get that there's – I'm probably maybe in the minority here, but I'm not a big fan of that being their second release. I, f- I just feel like there's so many other movies – TV shows, you know, musical band, whatever. There's so many other sort of cultural things that I think you could do a release on. That one didn't strike me as the one that I would just be, you know, wanting to rush out and do as the second release. So now your first two releases was one was Gary V, the other was this movie. Well, the only, I mean, the thing about that is it's a recent movie and there are a lot of celebrity cameos in it. Yeah. So you can get. Some I guess good, that's you true. Get some good names on the card. I guess that's, that's true, kind but of it's probably the reasoning. Yeah, maybe, but it's not exactly a, a family-friendly movie. movie. And there was, and it was just interesting because there was some blowback. You know, we talked about the the flawless breaks that Blez cards and I think it was Layton Sports cards were doing in in Vegas on that Thursday before we left, and they actually got some blowback from that because they had some models in the background, and so and there were a lot of you know female collectors in the space as well as families that didn't appreciate that and so there was a lot of blowback and so it was just kind of interesting that now this is the next zero cool release (laughs) but that's you know whatever i mean everyone you know collect what they want like i said i'm sure i'm in the minority on that let's see the uh what else we got and oh there were a lot of talk about i guess it sounded like now we didn't participate in any of these because we weren't there for you know, to do deals or whatever, but it did sound like there was a, a fair number of deals and talk, you know, business conversations happening behind the scenes. So I would expect over the next couple of weeks, there probably is going to be some interesting announcements about different partnerships and, you know, business startups and things that may have come as a result of that. What else? There was some interesting people that weren't there, like Ken Golden wasn't there. Some of the auction houses weren't there. I didn't see PSA. You know, Beckett and CSG were there, but I didn't see PSA. SGC was there. Peter was there. I didn't see PSA. Now PSA was there. Well, they were. They were there they on the panel. Like a table, I guess, yeah, but they didn't have a table in like the card show. They weren't present there. And then let's see, what else do we want to touch on? The, well, the let's talk about the grading companies because there was a grading company session. 
that was done where you had this one was kind of interesting because all there were four basically leaders of the of the major grading companies you had csg beckett sgc and psa that were all on the panel and it was kind of there was some tension between them you could tell as they were answering questions they kind of seemed to take these subtle pot shots at each other a little bit under the you know sort of subtle ones but so i thought that was kind of funny and interesting i guess you know it was very entertaining i'm gonna be honest yeah it was Kevin Lenane from PSA was there. He's the president of PSA. He did state some interesting things that came out that I hadn't heard before. So he stated they would like to get down to $25 per card for grading. So I think the value service that they're going to open next after economy members economy is at 50 bucks a card. Sounds like the value service is going to come at $25 a card. He said they are on target to clear their backlog in the fall. I can attest to that. We track their pop reports and and the, the the daily grading activity they do and they're on pace to grade about a million cards in the month of march um so if they're on pace to do a million cards a month they'll definitely be have the backlog cleared by the fall steve sloan also with psa i think he's the director of marketing he went on the crossover podcast which is a podcast with the folks over there at card ladder christina josh and chris we had chris on our show and kind of said a lot of the same things apparently you know again mentioned that 25 dollar price point the backlog being cleared by fall but he also said that they will open the service prior to clearing the backlog so what that tells me is you know here we are sitting towards the end of march tomorrow's the first day of april we're probably going to see the value service open up here in the next two maybe three months i would bet you by june they're going to open that value service at 25 dollars a card that makes sense yeah so that that'll be interesting i'm looking forward to that what's going to be interesting about that is what impact does that have on the other grading companies you know, because right now, like CSG and SGC have lower price points. HGA does as well. I'm not sure where Beckett's at, but what impact does that have on them? Do people shift business to PSA away from them, or do they stay with the companies they were using prior? Like, how does that shift the balance of the volume? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. What else? CSG commented that they've got 41 graders. I think that was the first time they talked about their grading capacity or at least the number of graders they had which by the way we'll talk about later psa's also talked about how many graders they have which we'll get to in the halftime report uh beckett was really the only one that talked about telling customers to not grade certain cards yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't worth it a lot of the others shied away from that saying it's not really their place to tell the customer what to grade what not to grade which by the way i like that answer better i really do because I mean, who knows what the reason is for grading a card and what the future value of different cards might be. That's the thing. People always say, why'd you get that graded? I mean, based on today's value, maybe. He wasn't just talking about like telling customers to not grade their cards. It was, he was talking about they had a backlog and some cards were going down in value. And so they were reaching out to customers to make sure they still wanted to get them. That's graded. a good point. Yeah, that's so a good that point. they wouldn't have to, if they didn't want to get them graded because of the money, yeah, they could send them back and not have to pay that. But if they did, or like they're asking to make sure like, is this for your personal collection? Yeah. And they'd be like, you know, yes or no. And then like, like that was a question they would ask. Yeah. Like it's not just them telling them don't grade this. Yeah. Like it, well, that's a good that point. I kind of took it a little differently, but yeah, that's I could what, see that's that. That's what he meant. Yeah. I could see that. Well, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think that's a nice service of them to do that. But I do think, look, nobody can predict what the value of certain cards are going to be a couple years from now. You just, you know, or three or five or whatever. And so you just don't know. So if someone wants to grade something now that may be a $60 card or $100 card, 
I mean, fine. I mean, do it. And, you know, who knows? Five years from now, it might be a $500 card or a $1,000 card and it'll be well worth it. And then you've already got it graded and you don't have to wait or pay a higher price that might happen down the road. So anyway, SGC talked about, I thought this was interesting. Peter from SGC was there. He talked about potentially having a McDonald's-like presence versus, say, an Amazon one where you've got one big fulfillment center where maybe it's more gradings, more localized, having more locations around the country to make it more localized. I really like that idea. I'm not sure how you go about it. Do you franchise things? That might be challenging. You need the, ex- the grading expertise and the authentication expertise. But I do like the idea of having it more localized where maybe you could go to a local place to drop off your cards as opposed to having to kind of go through all the logistics of shipping and and then that sort of also saves the risk, right, of something getting lost or stolen in the mail or damaged. So I thought that was interesting. I do have a lot of questions for the grading companies based on a lot of the things that were being said there. We won't cover all those today, but we'll save them because we're going to try to get representatives yeah. from the grading companies on our show. Peter, we talked to Peter, introduced ourselves to him there while we were there. He said he would come on the show, so hopefully... In the coming weeks or so, we'll you know get him on. Also, like to get somebody from CSG and PSA on as well, so we can talk to all of them. And like I said, got several questions. And then what else? The card designers was a cool session. Did you like that one? Uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. there were, they had a, a group. Christina from Card Ladder moderated it, and they had a group of of card designers that kind of talked about you know some of the I guess just some of the stories about how different cards got designed, and how the pictures got done, and how what some of the uh, challenges were with certain players or certain cards, certain pictures, you know, fitting things onto a card, and or different players with different sets, and what that would look like. And it was just interesting to hear because you don't hear that very often. Just kind of what happens on behind the scenes from a design element standpoint, and um, some of the more iconic cards that are out there the designers that were on stage in that session were the ones that created a lot of those so it was pretty cool it was a fun show we didn't talk we'll talk we should talk real quick too about our buying and selling we did there we with a buddy of mine who was in phoenix um was wanting us to track down some potential cards for him we ended up finding a terry bradshaw rookie which is the 1971 set worked out a really good deal for him i think it was an sgc5 as i as i recall and had him on the phone good negotiating tactic by the way we 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 were talking we agree we're going to use this again in the future (laughs) but we had him on the phone and negotiating with one of the vendors that were there and uh, they had the card listed, I think, for $300, which wasn't a bad price. I think in an SGC5 has been selling right around that $300. PSA, same thing, right around that 300 maybe a little more than that. And so he wanted to offer him $225. I'd said, maybe we maybe get maybe $250. He's like, no, let's go $225. I went $225. They took it. They accepted it. So that was good. That was a good deal, I thought. So, and I guess it helps when you're not present. You're not as invested in the card, I think. Yeah. So... Um, maybe a little more incentive to make a deal. And then we, I picked up, so I, I, did, I didn't have a lot of money, like I said, because of the money we spent just to get out there didn't, and uh, upcoming wedding expenses for my daughter, your sister, didn't have a lot to spend. So I brought my other form of currency, which is cards, and did make some trades. I, listeners to our show will remember I had a Derek card downtown that graded a PSA 10. I ended up trading that. I was looking to get some Pujols rookies. I'm, 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 I, I want some more Pujols in my collection, and I also think, which we're going to talk about him later, some interesting, you know, things that can happen this year for him. 
it's his last year probably or it is we'll talk about that he's going to retire but so i picked up uh the 2001 tops chrome traded it's one of my favorite ones of his i got a psa 9 generally sells for around four to five hundred dollars and that Derek Carr, I think, is worth more than that. So I was able to trade the car, get the Pujols, and get some cash back. I think we got about $350 cash back plus the Pujols card for the Derek Carr card. So I thought that was a fair deal. And by the way, we did that one with Layton Sports, the, that company that did that flawless break. Um, they were the ones we did that transaction with. And then we had money for the tables. <laughs> yeah. That didn't that last was, long. That was a mistake. <laughs> that was a mistake. Uh, that didn't last long. We didn't have our we, our luck wasn't good at the tables. And then the other so then I, I found another pools and I decided you know what I'm gonna want to keep one and sell one. So I decided I was gonna get two. That way I could keep one in the personal collection and I could sell one if the value goes up. And so I got another same card, 2001 Topps Chrome traded. It was PSA nine by the way. Didn't have the enough. Uh, card value to, to trade for the 10 because the 10s are I think two three thousand dollars something like that so I got the nine so with that one I had a Derek Jeter rookie a 1993 tops Derek Jeter rookie that graded a 10 that was in fact one of the PSA orders we just submitted and got back we probably talked about it on the show and I was able to trade that one pretty well straight across I think I put in a little cash in addition to it but pretty well straight across on that one to get the pool so worked out well um, also picked up a Marcus Mariota card just because mm. he's, you know, I'm an Oregon Duck. Pickup. No, it wasn't. I'm an Oregon Duck. He's an Oregon Duck. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in Atlanta this year. Maybe not, maybe nothing. They're not a great team, but, you know, I'm rooting for him and wanted to have a, a PSA 10 of his cards in my collection. So picked up one of those. All right. That's probably enough. Anything else in the Mint Collective? We'll move I don't on. I got anything else. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about Drake. So Drake's presence in the hobby. This was interesting. So when we got back Sunday, it was late afternoon, probably dinner time, and got unpacked, everything else, I started poking around social media just to kind of see, hear people's responses, how things went from the Mint Collective. The next thing you know, Ken Golden from Golden Auctions is online on Instagram live with Drake. And they're going to break. And I guess um, Dave and Adams, the big sports card shop, I think they're based out of Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken, New York. And I think there were a couple other people there. But anyway, Ken, they all apparently flew up to, is it Toronto? Is that where Drake's at? I think. Usually, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in Canada. Flew up there, snow on the ground. Went to, I guess it was, I don't know if it was his house, where they were. It looked like maybe it was his house. And they were going to open some start ripping some iconic wax so ken golden had a sealed hobby box of the 1986 fleer basketball which is you know the jordan rookie it's a lot of rookies kim olajuwon jordan there's a bunch of rookies in there a lot of valuable cards and so they're going to rip that box and then they ripped a bunch of flawless because you know drake's still trying to find that triple logo man lebron card I think there was a couple other boxes. Maybe it was the 2000 contenders, the football for where the Brady rookie is and some things like that. So anyway, so they Sunday night, they're doing that live on Instagram, which was cool on the one hand, but I really think that was a missed opportunity. I think the timing was really poor on that because everyone's coming back from the collective. Everyone's, or at least in the hobby, a lot of people were. They're tired. Even those that weren't coming back from the collective, it's Sunday night. People got to maybe work Monday. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Or they have school on Monday, whatever. So 
and because they went to like two or three in the morning ripping these boxes yeah. so couldn't stay up late for one and then for two i think a lot of people were traveling so a lot of people weren't able to so i i, I think and now who knows i mean maybe you know you could i'm sure drake's schedule decides when you can do it he may not have been able to do it at a different time may have been the only time he was able to do it so it might have been what they had to do but i i kind of wish they would have waited and done it the following weekend because also by the way the oscars were on that night and i think that was the night that you know the whole will smith and chris rock thing happened so it was kind of a lot of other things that took away from it anyway so the timing wasn't the greatest but nonetheless it was fun it was fun watching him do it it was kind of funny watching Ken Golden. He's kind of a media hog. I mean, you can tell he really wanted to <laughs> be focused on the media. They uh, Logan Paul popped in to the at one point. It was funny to watch the viewership jump. There was like five thousand people live in the stream, or maybe there might have been more than that because there were like three different streams. But the Ken Golden stream on Instagram, there's like five thousand people live. Logan Paul popped in, and within a matter of like thirty seconds, it jumped to thirty thousand. And, yeah, that's, and then that's and then like just as soon as he left it was back to 5000. Yep. <laughs> that was kind of funny. The other thing that was kind of funny so they were the, they were acting the thing that was a little strange is so first of all I don't know maybe a lot of people don't know but in that that 1986 Flair basketball box you're essentially guaranteed to get 3 Jordan rookies. And then the the question is whether you'll get 4. Because the way, and I'm getting all the details, but basically the way the cards were produced and the way they were packaged, there was kind of a, a, a series, you know, or what do you call it, um, a pattern of how it was done, right? So every box, depending on how the pattern fell, right, in in what packs went in that box, you would get either three or four. Um, and I think it was like of every card in the set. So I think, you you know, you'd end up going to pull like three of everything or maybe four of some or whatever, Anyway, so the bottom line is they they should have expected to get three. But what was funny is when they pulled their first Jordan, you would have thought like, oh, my, we just made the huge. Like they acted like, you know, and don't get me wrong, I would be incredibly excited to see that first Jordan too. Like I'd be, you know, probably reacting the same way because it's just fun, right? It's Jordan's rookie card. But it was just kind of funny because it's like, well, of course, like you would expect you're going to pull. You're, you're, you'd, you'd be disappointed if you didn't pull at least three. If you didn't pull at mm-hmm. least three, you might question whether the box was tampered with or something because you should be pulling three, and then it's just a question where you pull four. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. The other thing, too, I'd never really seen Drake in any sort of length of time in a so, you know, socially. I just don't, I don't follow him. And I will say it gave me a whole new level of respect for him He's a very cool dude, obviously. Yeah. That's why I guess he's got 100 million followers or whatever. But what I thought was cool about it, though, he was very respectful of the hobby. And he was also very knowledgeable. You could tell, like, he had done his homework. He'd done some research. Like, when he started opening the packs, he talked about the pattern. He started opening the packs, and he got – I forget what the name of the players were, but there's, like, the pattern when when you open a pack and you start seeing the players, you know that, okay, in two more cards, it's going to be a Jordan card. And he recognized that. And he's like, oh, this is a good sign. It's, you know, so-and-so, whatever it was. And he's like – and then the next card, he was like, yep, there it is, the Jordan rookie. So, I mean, that was cool. He showed, like, he had done his research. He was pretty knowledgeable. He was very respectful. And I just thought that was cool because it, you could tell, like, he's – He's in it for all the right reasons. He talked about how he's collected a bunch of stuff over the years. It's not like he's just after the money grabbed, you know, to get the logo I mean, man or whatever. I think he would be. Yeah. I mean, he's but, just... 
Anyway, That's just Drake, man. I mean, no, I get it. I just don't really know anything about yeah. him, I, and it was just a you know whole another level of respect for my. Because you know sometimes the people that come into the hobby like that, they're just coming in for you know maybe the media recognition, try to gain some. Yeah. You know they've got kind of ulterior motives. Well, I mean, you have to also understand that Drake is like a big basketball guy. Yeah. So like it's not really surprising. That's like, true. The dude hired the dude works with the NBA coach on his shooting to play in like adult leagues. Yeah. That's true. Like he he loves the game, and so that's kind of not surprising. Well, and he, he talked. Into this stuff. I think you mentioned this before, and he mentioned it, and that on the live that he plays every day. Yeah, you know, but yeah. So it was just it was cool to see that his motivations were genuine. So I thought that was that was fun. Also mentioned they were talking about the national coming up in Atlantic City in uh, when is it July or August somewhere in that time frame, and. Drake was like, well, I need to, so I need to go to that. It's like, yeah, you need, and he's like, all right, I need to, so, so I don't know. I think there's a good chance Drake might be going to the national. <laughs> that would be, right. that would cause quite the, uh, the stir in the media storm at the national if that happened. Um, but that would be cool. So yeah, that was the kind of big news coming back from the Mint Collective on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I kind of wish they would have maybe pushed that out to the following weekend, but again, maybe the Drake schedule didn't, that didn't work that way, but yeah. All right, well, if that's it, we can go ahead and move on to our historic moment in sports. All right, well, we've got a nice one for this. I mean, this is, you know, how do you not go with this one, right? 30 years ago, on March 28th of 1992, with 2.1 seconds left in the game in overtime, Duke was trailing 103-102, to and Christian Leitner catches a 70-foot pass from Grant Hill, who basically has a one-arm sort of baseball toss from the baseline all the way down to the other end of the court, right right about at the free throw line on the other side of the court. And Leitner catches it with his back facing the basket, gives a little bit of a jab step to his right, pivots back, turn, does a little turnaround fadeaway shot from about 17, 18 foot, and nails it. Right as time expires, puts Duke on top, of Kentucky and they win 104 to 103 and that sends Duke to the final four I mean that was a I mean for anyone who was into basketball at that time that was just a classic classic moment have to say Duke then got the funny thing though is it wasn't for the it was an elite eight game you kind of think of it as like oh that was the championship but it really wasn't never is the championship no I know these moments never are it's kind of like the miracle on ice everyone thinks that that was the gold medal game but it wasn't the gold Mm -hmm. medal game they had to then go beat, was it Finland, I think, the, the hockey team, USA, 1980 USA hockey team. Anyway, uh, Duke got past Indiana, then faced in the Final Four, then faced Michigan in the final. They beat them somewhat handily, actually, and became the national champions. And that was their back-to-back champions, which, by the way, was the first time since UCLA had done that in the late 60s, early 70s. That Duke team was a loaded team because they had Grant Hill, you had Bobby Hurley, you had Christian Leitner. I think there were something like six or seven players on that team that ended up going in the NBA. And one that played on the Dream Team. Yeah. Leitner is the only college kid on the Dream Team. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they had to have one, I think, for some reason. Because that was the first year that they had um, a team that wasn't all college because they were allowed to have pros. Okay. Well, that's the year so that they had to have one. Shashevsky was the uh, coach. K was the coach, right? He was one of the coaches. Yeah. Chuck Daly, I think, was the main coach. But yeah, yeah Leitner was on that team. Well, Leitner's rookie cards are in the 1992 sets. He's got upper deck, tops, hoops, classic four sport. I like the tops and tops gold card. They're not terribly expensive. If you if you like his stuff, you want to collect his stuff, you can. 
somewhat low pops on them at least for graded cards so it may be hard to find uh, graded you could probably find them raw a little easier but like recently there was a PSA 10 in a Topps gold card that sold for about $125 but a lot of his other cards are selling for you know 40 or 50 bucks so yeah there's our classic moment in sports yeah, that's good yeah all right let's and then we can talk a little March Madness because we got the final four going on this weekend and I mean that's sort of plays right into this right you got North Carolina and Duke facing off in the final four is it right that's the first time these two schools yeah, have met in the final four it's the first time that's crazy when you think about it I mean has you know I'm just I don't know how they're even allowed to meet in the final four when these two schools are literally 10 miles from each other yeah or like like less. It's How they like, weren't in a, in brackets. It doesn't make any. Dukes in the happening. West, aren't they? How yeah. does that make any sense? I know. I don't like, know. I don't I, know how they. How do, do they divide the regions? Like Duke is not in. I'm not, not sure how they in the West. I know. Like, I, I'm not sure. That doesn't how they even came make any sense. They should be in the same div- like region. Yeah. No, so, I agree. But I mean, it would be great to see. But I'm wondering, like, is that has, has that always been the case? Because like that's just that might be why. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, then the other games, Villanova and Kansas. Kansas is the only number one seed in the. I, th- that's, I think that's the first time that's happened in a while. I mean, yeah. usually there's at least two or three. Can't remember the last time there was only no, one number one. And for what it's worth, this is Coach K is last year, right? Retiring yes. after this season. We just talked about one of his cards that I really like, and I have, I have a couple of them actually. It's a 1991 Hoops card. It's Team USA when he was the coach. It's probably one of the more notable and popular ones of Coach K. And you can pick that up in a PSA 10 for, well, used to be able to pick that up, I should say, for around 50 or 60 bucks. It spiked a little bit back in the spring of 2021 when we had that bubble. but And then now with this final run of his, it's, it's starting to increase in value again. So now they're in that 100 to $120 range. I'd imagine they may continue to move up in price um now that he's going to retire pop count on those is only about i don't know 110 to 120 so although i suspect be careful in that because that's one of those cards where i suspect there's a lot of raw cards out there so that pop count could go a lot higher if the card values increase and then a lot of people start submitting those to get graded let's talk to the women's final four Mm -hmm. because there are some really good matchups in the women's final four you got in the in the first one you got south carolina against louisville or Louisville. Louisville. Um, pronounce it like you got your mouth full of food. And then the uh, second game is the big Stanford and UConn. Those are, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching those matchups. Yeah, women's basketball has gotten a lot better, like in the past few years, just in general. Yeah, well, which is U- good to see. UConn's like, the, not the, as dominant as they used to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just other like schools watching, have especially like. The shot making in these games is really good too. Like it's really impressive. Yeah, these are going to be good games. Agreed. And some of the ones to watch, I'm, uh, you know, that um, Boston. What's her first name? I don't know how you pronounce her first name. Alaya. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Boston from South Carolina. Man, she is an absolute beast. And then uh, Stanford as Haley Jones and Lexi Hole. They've got a few, but Haley Jones is, I think, fun to watch. Lexi Hole had a fantastic game in the uh, in the Elite Eight. Obviously, you got Paige Beckers with UConn. There's going to be a lot of good basketball in those those games. I'm really looking forward to watching those. Um, all right, it's probably enough on that. Let's move on to the halftime report. 
Alright, so Fanatics announced a deal with the WWE that includes a variety of things, including trading cards and NFTs. Yeah, that was announced just one week before Panini was actually set to release their first WWE product, which is the 2022 Prism product. Remember, Panini was taking over from Topps, who had produced WWE cards in 2005, so now it swings back to Topps through Fanatics. So I thought that was interesting, and I thought the announcement was interesting to do that just one week before Panini is going to release their product. I'm sure that was no mistake. Beckett announced that they'll be moving into a new headquarters that's four times larger than their current space. They also announced they're on pace to clear the backlog by the end of May. Then eBay announced that their authenticity guarantees for raw cards is now available for cards valued at $350 or more. PSA, or their parent company Collector's Universe, announced that they are starting a vault service that will be available this summer. Yeah, they've got a large facility located in Delaware, and they're going to offer a link to the Golden Auction Marketplace as a selling platform for that. And they're also going to allow immediate transfer to the vault after grading with PSA if you want to go that route. So you can have it graded with PSA, sent right to their vault. And then from there, if you want, you can put right on the marketplace platform at Golden to sell it. And of course, when you buy from any platform, you don't have to buy it. By the way, that's the case for all these vaults, PWCC, eBay, Golden, you know, PSA now, all these vaults. You, don't, you can buy from any platform and send it to the vault, have it stored there. Then when you go to sell it, you can just, you know, then you sell it on the on the platform that that vault uses, like PWCC in their case, or eBay in their case, or, you know, Golden in the case of PSA and so forth. So for those that are into that sort of flipping and investing financial kind of stock market trading-like aspect of the hobby, that's going to be an absolute um, necessary and valuable service. The parent company of PSA also announced they completed a capital raise of $100 million that valued the company at $4.3 billion. Yeah, you may hear people in awe of that valuation and compare that to the $853 million that Nat Turner and other PE investors paid to take Collector's Universe private a little over a year ago. I think it was 13 months ago. But keep in mind, that's not necessarily a comparable number. You can't compare the $853 million to the $4.3 billion. Uh, because that doesn't include a lot of the acquisitions that uh, Collector's Universe has made over the you know, last year or during the time that, that, they've, that the PE Group has owned it. Notably, they bought Golden Auctions, they bought Card Ladder, they bought Genement, there's a few other smaller companies. So you would need to kind of factor in the prices they paid for all those companies to get a better understanding of how their value has truly grown on an organic basis. But nonetheless, the bottom line is they're obviously doing well. They also revealed that they now have over 100 graders. So remember, we talked about CSG. He said they've got 41. Well, PSA says they have over 100 graders now, which is double what they had a year ago. And the crazy thing about this is if you do the math on the number of cards they're grading per day, it would imply that they're grading a card about every minute. So if I if you do it, that's based on eight-hour day, right? 480 minutes in a day. So 480 minutes per grader, if they're spending eight hours just doing nothing but grading, they would be grading every grader, one card, every minute. Honestly, not really sure how I feel about that. <laughs> um, the, I think there's some cards you can grade that fast. I think there's other cards that I would hope they're spending a little more time on than that. Uh, the company as a whole said they've got about 1,200 employees. They plan to grow to about 2,000 employees by the end of this year. Uh, the National Card Show is announcing this week the celebrities and athletes that will be making autograph appearances at the show in Atlantic City. Yeah, and Dan Marino was the first one they announced yesterday, and then today I saw the second one they announced was none other than Big Poppy, the recent Hall of Fame inductee David Ortiz. 
So, and they're going to be announcing those, I think, each day. So they'll probably announce another one tomorrow and, and the day after that. So you can kind of follow their website and their social media channels to see who those athletes and celebrities are going to be. Collectible announced the buyout results for the $115,000 offer on the Luka Doncic game-worn and autographed shoes. That offer was accepted by shareholders. Yeah, remember those shoes came public on the platform at $82,000 and hadn't even reached the secondary trading market before the first offer came in that was subsequently topped by that higher second offer. And then probably the biggest grading company news of the past week came from that we mentioned at the top of the show we were going to touch on, this is it, and that's that CSG announced a new look for their label and updates to their grading scale. So the label is apparently the result of months of research and development, including market studies and focus groups and testing and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is they've gotten rid of the green label, thank goodness, because I do think that most people in the hobby thought that label was ugly. And, you know, these are supposed to be art pieces of art, right? People want their label to look good as well as the card to look good. So, And they've gotten rid of the green label now in favor of a black, silver, and gold palette. They've kind of changed the font and some different things. We'll post a picture of it on our social media site. I got to admit, when I first saw it, I was like, eh, it's better for sure. But I'm not like, I don't know, wasn't crazy about it. The more I've, I've seen it, every, when I look at it a couple more times, I'm like, all right, well, you know, each time I look at it, it's like, eh, it gets a little better, maybe not bad. I don't think it's fantastic, but I definitely think it's an improvement over what they had before. They also announced they're updating their grading scale to, as they said, more closely align with the sports card collecting market. Yeah, so the old CSG Pristine 10 grade is now going to re- be replaced by the CSG Gem Mint 10 grade. So remember, their 9.5 used to be gem mint. Remember, the PSA 10 is gem mint, and the BGS 9.5 is gem mint. Uh, But for CSG, the 9.5 was gem mint. So now that gem mint is going to be a 10, and they're saying that that change corresponds to the nomenclature used by other leading sports card grading services, which, as we just noted, is the case. They are keeping the 9.5, but it's now going to be referred to as Mint Plus. Yeah, and then they said they're going to continue to assign the CSG Perfect 10 grade to the best of the best, which will have flawless centering, corners, edges, and surfaces. Remember, that's probably where they're going to have to get a 10 on all four of those subgrades. And cards that meet that Perfect 10 grade will automatically receive subgrades for free with no special request required. Yeah, but they did say that subgrades will be discontinued for other grades. Yeah, they said that fewer than 20% of submitters were requesting subgrades, and so that led them to the conclusion that the demand was, quote, simply not there. Now, I will say this about that. I think this is where I would tell them that, hey, correlation does not equal causation. I think the more likely reason people didn't request the subgrades isn't because the demand's not there, but it's because you had to pay extra to get the subgrades. And I think people were, given the cost of grading, were trying to save money anywhere they can. I think if they made the subgrades the same price, I bet more people would have used them. But whatever, I've digressed. They also acknowledge that eliminating subgrades will improve their turnaround times. They said that they will immediately begin encapsulating submitted cards with the new label and that any submissions currently at their facility will also be encapsulated with the new label and will not be given subgrades unless the card earns a perfect 10. And they said that if anyone paid for subgrades, they'll refund the por- that portion of the fee. All right, so let's spend a minute on this because I do think this is big news for a few different reasons. First of all, the quick background on CSG. Remember, they made a name for themselves in the comic book grading space. That's where they start. I think there were CCG is their name there. They're still doing that. 
and have a bigger, uh, you know, good reputation there. They entered the sports card market in February of 2021. They've now apparently graded more than 750,000 cards. And according to them, they say they have the second largest grading capacity of any grading company. Remember, that was 41 graders. I don't know how many SGC or Beckett have. Their turnaround times range from about three to 45 business days, depending on which service level you use. Fees range from about $12 on the low side, but let's let's really call it 20 because 12 is only for bulk that requires a 50 card minimum order. So let's say $20 on the low side to $125 on the high side, depending on the value of the card. And then for really high value cards, it's there's a, a higher price point than that. And for what it's worth, I do think you have to be a member to submit cards for grading to them. And those membership fees range from $25 to upwards of $300, depending on what level of membership you choose. So here's I mean, one of the reasons. Geez, man. What? You have to be a member to submit to CSG? Yeah. They're, PSA. Why does anyone use? Do you have to be a member for PSA? They do, but they've waived it since they've had their backlog. Oh, they, okay. So no one's had to pay it. But normally you okay. do have to be a member gotcha. um, with PSA in order to submit and the way it used to work is if you became a member, you would get like 10 free vou- ten vouchers for free grading. And so okay. effectively, the membership fee was paying for the grading, the free vouchers that you were getting. Gotcha. That's the way so it used to I was about to, to say, like, it. why would anyone use CSG if, but I didn't realize that. Yeah. Right. Now, here's one of the reasons I think this could be a significant announcement. Because they said that cards already encapsulated, well, there's a few reasons, but this is one. Cards already encapsulated with the original green label can be resubmitted for the new label for just a, a reholder fee of $5. And that can happen until, they're doing that till June 30th. And then they also said if the original green le- label had subgrades, they're going to remove those when the card's reholdered in the new label. Obviously, unless the card's a perfect 10, then they'll put those on there. What's not entirely clear, okay, they haven't said this explicitly, but what is implied by the statements and the releases they put out is that any card that's reholdered that had a nine and a half grade, remember that was the gem mint grade, would get the new 10 grade because that's now the gem mint on the new scale. And so I think that creates an interesting situation for the existing cards out there that are graded nine and a half by CSG. And I've already seen that a little bit. You've seen where people are starting to go out and buy some of those cards, and I'm sure they're doing it looking to convert them to a 10. And, you know, that could create a run on those. Will it? I don't know. Maybe. But, and and look, I realize it seems like that might be smoke and mirrors a little bit, right? Because, look, it's the same card. So what difference? It was 9.5, now it's a 10. It's still the same card, same condition, whatever. But we've seen it. There's a lot of things that when it comes to the values of cards and different grades in the market that don't necessarily make sense, right? Like why is there a discount between an SGC graded card and a PSA graded card? I mean, I, you know, so, and with some cards, there's not. In some cases, SGC might outsell a PSA. In other cases, it doesn't. So there's some things that kind of happen that don't necessarily make sense. And I think this is going to create a similar situation where there's just a value perception, right? Of, for, of a 10 versus a nine and a half people don't think about the the gem mint they think about a nine and a half versus a ten so i think this is something that could ultimately increase the value of some csg cards obviously the label change is going to help as well now the one thing i don't like about this is the move away from subgrades and a lot of companies are doing this obviously sgc psa now csg doesn't do subgrades so i think only beckett and hga are the only ones left that do but look, now they're hiring a ton of new graders. There's been a lot more unpredictability, I think, or volatility in the grading. It hasn't been as consistent with some of those companies as it's been in the past. 
And so I do think subgrades help to provide some color on why the card received the overall grade that it did. But now that that goes away, you lose some of that context. And so my hope is is that grading companies can come up with a solution to maybe complement, you know, maybe it's information about why a card, I don't know, call it grader's notes or something along those lines that they could provide to collectors that would kind of help you see why the card got the grade that it did. I, I realize that could cause a lot of debate because there's people to be like, oh, that corner's not, or that's, you know, whatever, and kind of argue about it. But I think it's a reasonable request. This isn't rocket science, and you should be able to see on a card like if there's a scratch if there's a you know if there's chipping on the edges if a corner is soft if there's a crease you know whatever it is you should be able to see those things and so if the grader notes those in their notes you can go back and kind of see that for yourself and then that sort of helps give you an understanding of you know why cards got the grades they did and then the better people get at being able to identify that the better they'll get at knowing what cards to submit and what cards not to submit based on the grades and the values that those will you know ultimately receive so another reason i think this is a big deal is because it's a step in my opinion towards csg becoming a more formidable player in the space remember we already noted in a hot take a couple of weeks ago that we wouldn't be surprised if we saw them get acquired by fanatics not saying that's going to happen have no inside information on that but it wouldn't be surprised by it but even if it didn't happen maybe it will maybe it won't it does demonstrate a commitment by CSG on their part to be a significant player in the space. They listened to the hobby. They listened to the feedback on their slabs and the design of the labels, and they made a change. And so, look, I mean, I think that says a lot. I'm not sitting here going to pound the table and, you know, tout CSG. We've not submitted anything to them yet, but I do think they're going to become a bigger player in the space. So I think that's something that's going to be worth watching. And I think, and I will, we'll see if the cards that are graded by them end up, you know, gaining more value in the market. I will say this, we do frankly need consolidation in the space. There's just, you know, maybe not so much in grading, although we probably do in grading too, because a lot of new grading companies have popped up over the last year or two, but really in all aspects of the space, the hobby's becoming a little too diluted with too many options. And so you have to think like if, for example, CSG did get acquired by Fanatics, and the perception of the look of their labels and slab changes, I mean, that, that puts them in a pretty formidable pl uh, position. So, all right, let's move on to some card releases. All right, so Topps released their 2022 Inception product, which has uh, one pack per pack and seven cards per pack. <laughs> yeah, one pack per box. I know it's a pack. And I, look, I really like this product. I think the cards have some nice designs. There are some really nice RPAs, rookie patch autographs in this product as well. In fact, we said at the top of the show that we were going to note. So this is the one we were going to talk about. A guy on, I was on loop last night and I actually opened one of these myself. I actually got a Louis Robert, Robert uh, rookie patch auto really nice card really That's excited nice. about that so looking forward to getting that but a guy pulled a wonder franco rookie patch auto serial numbered to 10 man it was a sick looking card a really sick looking patch had a really they're like three colors to design on oh it was it was fantastic i'm telling you that card is going to sell probably for thousands of dollars we were all talking about it last night trying to kind of get some comparisons on it we'll see and by the way speaking of pricing those boxes you can find at card shops and online retailers for probably somewhere around 170 to 200 dollars a box give or take so that guy that pulled that card last night we'll maybe post a picture of it on our social media because it is a really nice looking card and it's going to be i think he's going to put it up for sale you're probably going to see it at auction here sometime soon all right and then upper deck is also releasing their 2020 to 21 premier hockey product the configuration of this product is one pack and six cards per pack 
Buyers of the hobby boxes can expect to get one auto and or patch per box, three additional hits, which are going to be autos or relics, and two base or parallels, which is one vet and one rookie. Yeah, those are nice too. And by the way, those also have some nice rookie patch autographs in them. They are a little more expensive though, because a box of, or I guess you should say a pack, it's a box with one pack inside of it, but that'll set you back about 500 to maybe $550 is what those cost. Panini has their 2021 to 22 Contenders NBA product coming next week. Yeah, the first release next week is going to be the first off the line edition of that product, and then the regular hobby boxes will follow after that. All right, well, I think that does it for the halftime report, so let's go ahead and move on to film study. All right, well, we got a lot to cover in film study. We're going to cover it all soccer, baseball. We got even one little, one little, but a big golf thing, football, basketball. What else? Hockey. We got a lot. So let's start with soccer because the, um, you say FIFA, I say FIFA World Cup. I don't say FIFA. You don't Who say says FIFA? <laughs> Maybe I do. You I say don't know. FIFA? I don't know. Come on, man. I know. I don't know anything about soccer, but I know it's FIFA. All right. Come on. The World Cup. By the way, I do like their apparel. And yeah. I always have, even when I was a kid. Uh, the, the U.S. men's soccer team made it to the FIFA FIFA World Cup. It was the first time since 2014. The draw will take place on Friday, which I believe is tomorrow, right? We're filming this Thursday night, yep. 32 teams are going to be split into four pots, but the actual World Cup doesn't start until November 21st. Uh, Christian Pulisic had a hat trick against Panama. That was a, a little bit ago, and two of those were on penalty kicks, by the way. But nonetheless been playing well his rookie cards by the way are found i think we mentioned this last time maybe we didn't i can't remember but they're found in the 2016 sets he's got a panini don russ and a select he's got some various tops and others as well but his base don russ in a psa 10 sells for about 400 dollars, give or take the hollow on that which is just a parallel variation sells for around a thousand dollars he does have a kaboom insert those tend to be popular that's in the 2017 select and 2018 and 2019 panini prism sets his 2016 panini select base card that's the rookie one in a psa 10 also sells for around 400 dollars. so similar to the panini don russ card in a PSA 10. There are parallels out there on all of those as well. Some of them are serial numbered, so you can kind of look for the one you have interest in and the grade that you can afford and go after those because I think, you know, he's still relatively young and so there could be some potential upside in some of his stuff. And by the way, Panini is going to be releasing a mosaic brand of the Road to FIFA World Cup soccer cards later this year. All right, where we want to go next? That's soccer. Just keep going down the line. Baseball? Baseball, there's a lot, a lot here. So baseball, get this, baseball section. Baseball announced the Home Run Derby X. Did you see this? It's going to feature former baseball stars. Basically, it's designed to try to, I think, garner more interest in a wider audience in the game, create a little excitement, desperately needed. trying to create some excitement. It's, uh, you know, sort of takes off the Home Run Derby in the All-Star or prior the day before the All-Star game. And it's going to feature former baseball stars for this first year. There's going to be players like, or former players like Adrian Gonzalez, Johnny Gomes, uh, Giovanni Soto, Nick Swisher. And it says there's going to be, I don't know how this all works. They Somehow there's four teams. They're saying it's the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Dodgers, and the Yankees. They compete against each other. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know exactly how it all works, but it looks interesting. 
there's going to be these events. They're going to travel around and like do a tour and go to different cities and play games. And there's like points you get for each batter. Like you get 25 pitches. If you hit a home run, you get a point. If if the ball gets caught, the I think the other team gets a point. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's all going to work, but it looks kind of interesting. Apparently, each team is going to have people from four different categories. So there's going to be a baseball legend. There's going to be a baseball superstar players or excuse me not baseball a softball superstar so players who hail from the world of softball and women's baseball then there's going to be a rookie player so for a player from men's baseball development system so not in the majors and then there's going to be a wild card which is basically going to be an influencer um influencer an influencer i should say or like a content creator social media influencer that kind of thing so those are like the four I guess categories of people that'll be on a team. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I like that structure. Yeah, it should be interesting. Because that's that's it's kind of cool. I think I I love it whenever they put actual athletes with like people who don't play at all. Yeah, or people who just like play casually. Right. That's always kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I think it'll be kind of fun. And like I said, that's why they're doing Especially it. Especially if bring they get interest. like good personalities for that. Right. Exactly. So, but they're traveling all over the world. They said they're going to London. They're going to Seoul. They're going to Mexico City. So. Should be interesting to watch all that. In other baseball news, Pujols is back. I was really excited to see this. That's another reason I wanted to pick up some of his rookie cards at the Mint Collective. Uh, he's got signed with the cards, which I think is cool for his final year. That's obviously the team that he started with. He won, what, I think two World Series championships with them, three league MVPs, I believe. It's cool to see him back. He's already announced this is going to be his last year. He's retiring after the end of this season. And he already singled in his first game back, by the way. Preseason, again, we're not in the regular season yet. Cardinals put up, by the way, 29 runs against the Nats. Now, I get it, it's preseason, but <laughs> yeah, still, still I don't care. any Preseason, what? regular season, anything. you put up 29 runs. in Washington? What are you doing? Oh, my. I know. A couple of Washington pitchers pitched like an inning or two innings, gave up like 10 runs. It's crazy. Now, here's the cool thing. It's going to be fun to watch Pools because he's chasing some interesting records. Right now, he's fifth in home runs. I think he has 600 and what is it? 678, six, 70, something if like you have that. 21 to reach 700, it's uh, 607 or 679. Six, yeah, yeah. yeah, 679 home runs. 21 more gets him to 700, which would put him fourth, which just behind Barry Bonds, which obviously is controversial. Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth are two and three. Some people would say Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth are one and two, but nonetheless, that's the way that is. He And what's funny, too, is Poulos actually has about the same number of home runs per at-bat, or look at the other way, the number of at-bats to get a home run, as Hank Aaron does at around 16 at-bats per home run hit. And Babe Ruth, by the way, among the leaders, has the best mark at just under 12, although actually Mark McGuire actually has the the better mark on that he has 10.6 at bats for every home run one every one home run hit but obviously people would say he was juiced and not count that kind of like they do with Barry Bonds so discounting him Babe Ruth is the next one at about a little under 12 I think like 11.8 and then Hank Aaron and um, Albert Pujols around 16 so he'll likely finish top 10 in hits he already has over 3,300 
He's going to probably be in the top five in doubles, probably end up second in RBIs. He's approaching 2,200 right now, only behind Hank Aaron. He's got a shot to be in top 10. All, these are all time, by the way, in runs scored, likely going to pass Lou Gehrig in that category. He's been, like I said before, the league MVP three times. He won the rookie of, of the year, obviously, in his rookie season. Has two World Series championships with the Cardinals. His rookie cards, by the way, are in the 2001 sets. He's got Bowman, Paper, and Chrome. Got Don Russ, Fleer, Upper Deck, SP Authentic, Tops cards. In Tops, he's in uh, Traded, as well as Chrome uh, and Chrome Traded. And I like the SP Authentic card. I think that's a cool one. I think the Tops Chrome Traded card is also a good one. That's the one I picked up myself at the Mint Collective. The Bowman's also a classic. And by the way, in that tops traded, there's a one that's kind of highly sought after or that's popular, I should say, because it's it's actually got both Ichiro and Pujols on the card, both rookies in that same season. And and so that's a popular card. To give you an idea on pricing, the traded in just paper, not in chrome, for a PSA 10 sells for about two thousand dollars. It's a low pop, just over a couple hundred of them. Uh, the chrome traded. Uh, sells for about $2,300 in the PSA 10. The Bowman in the PSA 10 sells for about $1,000. And the SP Authentic is serial numbered to $1,250. And that one sells for about $7,000 in a PSA 10. But, the, you know, the, that's one of those ones where there's a low pop count. There's less than 200. The transaction volume's limited. So you, it's kind of hard. It's sold, you know, I think it, there's one that sold for $5,000. There's one that sold for eight or $9,000. I think the last sale was six or seven kind of a little all over the board and not a lot of transaction activity to look at but anyway it gives you a little idea on where some of his cards are and some of the values on those and so that's another one where if you want to go after stuff like i said i couldn't get a 10 because i didn't have the funds to do that so i ended up stepping down and going after a nine and uh, so i could have some of his stuff in my collection but it's gonna be fun to watch him this season chase some of these records i've always liked pujols um i think he's obviously going to be i would hope a first ballot hall of famer all right, where else? Golf? Yeah. When we got one news, we one one piece of news one in golf. One thing that may or may not even happen. What's that? You 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 the do Tigers this Tigers might be in the Masters. Yeah, he might come back which, for the Masters. That'd be big news. But if like, he does. why explain that? Well, because if he's coming back from that car accident, the injury no, 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 associated no, 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 no. with car explain accident. Explain why people think he might be coming back. Oh, because he played around um, in uh, I don't remember where it was, but. Uh, this past week he actually i think it was like the well i guess he played with his son that one uh while back but this was kind of the first sort of by himself kind of practice rounds like maybe he's getting ready to come back to the masters so we'll see by the way a couple of the more popular tiger cards out there that a rookie considers some of his rookies one is the 2001 upper deck that's kind of the classic one it's a picture of him in his red championship shirt black pants he's got his putter in hand he's pointing at the cup after he just kind of made a putt in a psa 10 that one sells for around 400 dollars, give or take the other one that's kind of cool is the um, 1998 champions of golf card that's kind of an oversized card tall sort of thin card again with him in his red shirt classic tiger red that one in let's call it a a psa 8 i'm looking at card ladder right now psa 8 sells for about $200, give or take. In a PSA 10, yeah, uh, PSA 10, who knows, because the last sale was back in 2019. There's only a pop count of two, 
and the last sale was for over $64,000. So I would imagine that would sell for a lot more than that today because that was three years ago. But a PSA 9 did just sell about a month or so ago for $2,400. So, you know, gives you an idea where those are at. I do have that card, by the way. Now, I don't have it graded, so Hmm. I need to send it in to get graded to see how it would do. I don't think it would get – I think it would probably end up getting a 7 or 8 would be my guess. So it's probably not hugely valuable, but it's cool to have it in the personal collection. All right, let's go on. We got some more to cover. Football, basketball, and hockey. You want to go football first? Yeah. Your favorite topic, Tom Brady rumors. So we told you last <laughs> these, time these there are was more, truth no, to this these, Miami Dolphins. These are Dolphin. more interesting to me. No, I was, I was, I was annoyed about like, the whole retire and then unretire. That's different than this. So here's the thing. I will say we were one of the first ones to talk about the whole Dolph, Miami Dolphin connection. And I've actually heard several other people in the hobby talking about this and like, oh, man, this came out of nowhere. No one, no one's talking about it. We did, we did. I'll put our hand up. We we talked about it, but. Uh, the Miami coach is saying it's all fake news, but I don't believe it. I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And like I said, even when before he unretired, there were rumors and sources and, you know, kind of reports that there was something going on with the Dolphins. And then, so he unretires, then some of the rumors come out about, oh, maybe he's going to go to Miami. And obviously there was that story we talked about about where maybe he's going to go down there and Sean Payton's going to become the coach and he's also and Brady's going to be a part owner. Well, then all of a sudden now then he unretires, he goes back to Tampa Bay, but then Bruce Arians now steps down. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of adds. Yeah, again, I, I did see that and I was like, huh. Yeah, people are like, oh, it's unrelated. You know, Tom Brady put out a statement and so did Bruce Arians. It's un- well, of course they're going to put out a statement I mean, saying it, it's it unrelated. Like, what do you expect him <laughs> well, to say? Well, Tom's not going to come out and go, if I was going to, the only way I'd come back is if Bruce Arians stepped down. He's not going to say that. Well, it might be unrelated, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean. But the rumor was that Dolphins want to hire Sean Payton. And Tom Brady is their quarterback and minority owner. And again, well, think about Bruce. Well, and this should be, uh, I think this should be said is that he's not just, he's not like stepping down and retiring. He's stepping down and going into like an executive role. Correct. um, Yeah. The front office somewhere. So he's, he's still with uh, uh, Tampa. He's just doing something else. Yeah. Well, and I don't think this is going to do anything for 2022, but it, it will be interesting to see what happens in 2023. If, Brady continues to play and what that looks like because that's kind of what this looks to be setting up for is possibly something happening in 2023 the fact of the matter is while a lot of people are trying to deny hey there's nothing here it's art like there it's not deniable that the Dolphins have talked about adding Brady as a player and the reason that we know about this is because of the lawsuit that was filed by I think it was filed against the Dolphins by their former coach Brian Flores if I'm not mistaken or maybe it was the other way around I can't remember no I think it was filed by him anyway as a result of that lawsuit there's been information made now publicly available and one of the pieces of information was that the owner of the Dolphins wanted Flores to recruit Brady to Miami in which would have been in violation of the league tampering rules Brady and the owner of the Dolphins Ross are familiar with each other um, not just from the fact that they've been seen having lunch on his yacht, and that was also you know information that was in that lawsuit. Um, they're both from University of Michigan, and it's according to some reports I've seen, the owner of the Dolphins has told some of his confidants that he might want Brady to join Dolphins ownership after his career. 
And then remember when New Orleans Saints coach uh, was stepping down, Sean Payton, he admitted that he had been approached about continuing to coach elsewhere. Um, we know that the Dolphins were one of the teams that contacted Sean Payton um, about possibly coaching there. And anyway, so there's kind of a there's a lot here. Dolphins don't deny that they have interest in Peyton. I think their general manager has said that they requested permission to talk to him. And I think that permission ended up getting denied by the Saints. But we'll see. He's obviously not going to coach the Dolphins in 2022. Brady's obviously not going to be the team's quarterback in 2022. But it does raise the possibility for 2023 if they all keep going. Because Peyton has not closed the door to returning. Remember, he's said very specifically that there might be a, a chance for him to come back and coach again at some point. He doesn't think it's going to be this year, but maybe at some point in the future. So, and, you know, who knows what Brady's going to do. Will he retire after this season or will he come back? So 2023 could be interesting. And yeah, maybe maybe he doesn't come back and play. Maybe he, just, maybe he does a Derek Jeter and just goes and bees an owner and, you know, gets into the front office or something along those lines. Who knows? But uh, anyway, bottom line is, like we said before, where there's smoke, there's fire, and there were truth to a lot of those rumors that were swirling around. Um, and so hey, I think maybe we'll see Miami go undefeated again. Yeah, you Brady, we'll pull something out. Of well, that. and then Dolphins go get Tyree Kill. I mean, that's a nice add for Tua. So we'll see. Pressure's going to be on Tua this year. Yeah, I guess so. But okay, where do we want to go next? We got hockey and basketball. Let's just go to basketball. Just keep going in a straight line here. All right. Well, let's see. So playoffs, or what do you want to go? You want well, to talk uh, so the Joker? So you have a couple things here, and I think it kind of outlines into like a, a general MVP talk, sure. um, which I think is interesting, but we can kind of mention this. That's uh, a good point. Does, Jokic, actually, yeah. Jokic uh, he might finish in the top 10. He probably will finish in the top 10 in points, rebounds, and assists, which I if think. he does, he'd be the fifth player in league history to do that. Yeah, which Only is, behind Wilt Chamber, or I should not say behind. Joining yeah. Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, and Res- Russell Westbrook. Which which Russell? Did you just say Russell Westbrook. Westbrook? West. Come on, man. Russell Westbrook. Because what I was going to say is, which one of these does not look like the other? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I mean, Russell Westbrook is a good player, but I um, he's not of. In my opinion, he is not of the same caliber of Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, and Oscar Robinson. Those well, are like league legends. I don't put Westbrook in I that same put, category. I wouldn't put Westbrook in the same category. Westbrook's as like, a stud. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't but, put him in the same category as Wilt, but like he does the same thing that Oscar does. Yeah, and he passed his record. Yeah. True. He averaged a triple double like two or three times. Yeah, that's true. I know. Don't just, get me he's wrong. Playing he's playing bad right now because his team sucks and he's a bad fit and he's struggling because he, the ball's not in his hands because he's on a LeBron team. Yeah, but that's a good point. Um, so I don't know if I would say that, um, but yeah, he'll join. Like that's a pretty good. That's a heck of a list. Russ, he's on the seventy-five list, by yeah. the way. Russell Westbrook is. Oh, um, don't get me wrong. I am not. Bad. I am not putting down Russell. Russell Westbrook is absolutely a stud. I just when I think about Wilt Chamberlain, yeah, no, that's Oscar, fair. I, mean, I was as, kinda, as far as know. like Wilt goes, and maybe Elgin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. But still, that's a really elite company to be in. So that yeah. might probably will happen. Probably will happen. And it's interesting to see the MVP race because I feel like he's got a he he he's he really should probably win it again. But there's a lot of other guys that are 
close. And so, obviously, Giannis is playing great. He's he's another candidate. Jason Tatum has risen in that conversation. I don't think he's actually going to break into, like, a top three or anything. But that just shows you kind of what narrative can do for that sort of thing, yeah. which I think is silly. Going off of that, Devin Booker, I think, has been very disrespectfully left out of this conversation, which is crazy to me. Agreed. Because he's probably the best player on the best team and by far the best team in the NBA. Yep. And he's not even in the conversation. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, it's between Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis, and, like, those are... I, would, I wouldn't... That's not to say anything against those guys, because I think those really should be your front runners. but Booker sure. should definitely be in the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Especially over be. Tatum, because, like, I'm looking at, like, people, like, put, like, Luka and Tatum in that column now just because of what they've done, like, since All-Star break. But, like, the Suns have been doing this the whole season. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of annoying. I saw a graphic, like, last night or the night before or something that was, like, there have been, like, eight players in NBA history that have averaged, like, 25 points a game and, like, six assists on, like, 81% win percentage in the games they've played. Every single one of them won MVP, except for one year Kevin Durant didn't because that was the year that Westbrook averaged a triple-double. And then this year Booker is doing the same thing. He has those same stat lines, and he's not even in the conversation. Yeah, And this is a guy who's been kind of like that his whole career people have always kind of left him out of those talks like he he never made all-star games he was a backup all-star last year which was ridiculous and i just think that the narrative thing plays too much of a role in like the mvp conversation which i think is stupid yeah people got to put some respect on booker i totally agree i mean yeah i mean come on man he's so i mean he's really good he's on the best team in the nba by far like it's not even close um but just thought i would say that but again that's not to discount anything that Jokic, Embiid, or Giannis are doing because I, I i still would probably like i said put them in that top three but booker needs to get some consideration too and he's not getting that and i think that's just silly honestly yeah no i agree now booker's cards are not necessarily cheap you know he's got i mean We've talked about some of his stuff. He's he's got a I don't know I don't have it all up in front of me, but I I'm tr- I'm thinking I can picture the card in my head. There's a rookie patch auto out there. I think it's a National Treasures card. Goes for around seven grand, give or take or more. So it's not cheap, but at the same time, probably in comparison to some of the I I haven't done the comparison. I should do that into some of these other guys. I'd imagine in comparison to Giannis and. Um, the Joker and stuff. It may, I don't know if his stuff is less, you know, more expensive or less than expensive than some of theirs. Where I'm going with this is just to say that while I agree that I think he's been somewhat underrated or overlooked in those conversations, I'm not so sure that's the case with the hobby. I think it his cards have gotten decent value. But he does get a lot of good numbers, so that's, you know, that yeah. could play into that a little bit. That said, you can pick up his base prism from 2015 in a PSA 10 for around $400. So that's not, I mean, not cheap, but that's not crazy expensive either. Well, so who do you, who do you, I mean, I've had Embiid the whole season, but I'm honestly, I'm kind of leaning the past week or two. I've been leaning more towards Jokic just cause I just don't know. Like, I mean, he's really, he's basically doing exactly what he did last season. And, Embiid's been dominant pretty much the whole season, but kind of recently they've been. Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess. I guess with James Harden, that might have 
he doesn't have as much of a load and so he's not putting up this like quite so big numbers that he was before yeah he's still totally dominant well that's um, what i was gonna but say i think about, it's really between those two honestly yeah i was gonna say about Giannis. i mean i think he's but i guess maybe the situation with him is i don't know if he's been as consistent all season he's really kind oh, of been no, pouring been, it on lately no he's been consistent the whole season he's just hasn't won a lot of games because like he's had like you know middleton and drew have been out but yeah he's got like well, here's the other funny thing about it. Like, what about KD? I mean, he's still not. I, I realize yeah, he, 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 he missed too much time. He missed too much if time. If he didn't miss so, that time, he would definitely be yeah. in it. Because he was, he was like second or third in early season, and then he was out for a while. So yeah. that's really the only reason that he's not in it. And that's another thing with Jokic. I don't think he's missed a single game all season. He didn't last season either, and that's really important. Like, being available is a very underrated skill, I think. That's, the, you know. What do they say? The best ability is availability. Exactly. And, and, Jokic is the perfect example of that. He plays every single game. Um, so that's another thing. So we talked last time about how the Nets might, Brooklyn is looking like they're going to be in that play-in spot. And, you know, they it's still looking that way. I mean, they could they could potentially still get up into the, the sixth spot, but it's right now looking like they're going to be in the play-in. And then we talked about how that would mean that if you're in the number two spot, you really probably don't want to be in the number two spot because you have a good chance of facing them if you are. And so uh, maybe Philadelphia heard that and they are doing <laughs> their part to not to take that advice and not finish number two. Milwaukee apparently didn't get the memo because they're doing everything they can to make a run up the standings they're here. Pushing. Well, if they can so, make one, which they can, they can also avoid that. And you know, especially like a team like Milwaukee would really enjoy home court advantage the whole playoffs. You know, yeah. Throughout the throughout a loaded East, home court advantage can really be helpful. In this, uh, with the main, I mean, and just and if you're one, like imagine like you could potentially play Brooklyn. So say Miami's one right now. We they could potentially play Brooklyn, then Philadelphia, and then Milwaukee. Well, they wouldn't <laughs> to play... get to the final. That's their path to the finals. Could yeah. you imagine? That's just ridiculous. But they wouldn't if they finished one, right? They wouldn't have to play Brooklyn if they finished one. Well, if Brooklyn, let's just you know say if Brooklyn got eight. So like if you look at it right now, just where it is and that standing stayed and the plan worked out to where that's the exact standing. Where Brooklyn's at eight right now, because like, that could if Brooklyn lost the first game, and if they got the eight, second, if they yeah. lost so, the first and won the I'm second, just like they looking would play at that. I mean, that could be the same yeah, thing. If you're, sense. I mean, okay. if you're in second, you could be so like Milwaukee. They play say say they play Brooklyn the first round. They play Brooklyn, then they go. They play Philly, and then if Miami's still around, they could play Miami. And that's like yeah. that. That is like the hardest possible path you could probably take. Yeah, like <laughs> to the finals. Like those are three contending teams well that's where so like, like three so, absolutely contending teams that's where boston and philly are probably sitting actually in the better spots at three exactly. and four because they're gonna have a you know nothing's easy but relatively speaking they're gonna have a better first round draw right yeah so i mean it's just scary you really don't know who's gonna really perform in the playoffs and who isn't because all these teams have been on tears and all of them have been half of them have been contenders the whole season and then, I mean, what about your? So you didn't even mention your boy Jimmy Butler. He's not in the MVP conversation. I mean, I, really I don't just, really think he should be. I mean, yeah. I don't like best best player on the best team. Like they're the best team in the East. They're not the best team in the NBA. And like the thing about Miami is they don't really have like I won't. Butler's like a superstar. Like we talked about this before, but like I wouldn't. He's not in like the MVP level conversation yeah. right now. No, yeah. no, just he's just not. Let's not. Miami doesn't have a guy. It's like not that. their they style. Don't, they don't need a guy like that. Right. Um, that's just you know that's not how we're, how they're built right now. So. Right. It's not their style. 
then flipping over to the West, as far as the playoffs are concerned over there, I mean, the you're, you I are mean, going Phoenix to... Phoenix is just going to be the tearaway favorite here. They're going to gonna be the, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, no it, question. Although, look, I, I think Memphis, and I like Memphis and Golden State, but the thing that I still come back to, I still come... We talked about this last time, so we don't need to spend too much time, any more time on it, I guess, but the fact that New Orleans and or the Lakers with... 10 or 12 Dude, games. The Lakers were 11 the other day. They weren't even in the plan. Yeah, I they mean, they may not, not like San out. Antonio might. Could you yeah. imagine if San Antonio, they're 14 games under 500? Yep. Anyway. It, won't, it won't happen, though. Those teams yeah. are not going to. Yeah, no way. Because look, I mean, who's seven? Like the Clippers and Minnesota. The Clippers just got Paul George back, and Minnesota's fighting for six. Those teams are going to be seven, eight. If yep. they're not, that would be a really huge surprise. Right. But there is, I mean, San Antonio, they're only a half game behind the Lakers for the 10 spot. Yeah. I mean, and I'm telling you, if if San Antonio does pass them and those are your, you know, your two teams are New Orleans and San Antonio, I guarantee you the top eight right now is going to stay the way it is. I think Yeah. as much as, like, as much as the Lakers suck, I think they would actually be the one team that could in a one-game scenario, knock out one of those two teams. Oh, sure. I don't With think the- they would because I just don't trust them at all. But like, I they have like the they have LeBron, so you know, right. anything you know, you could in a one-game scenario. Absolutely. Like they've, I mean, they've beaten some of the best teams in one games this season. Like with LeBron, you can do that. But if it's San Antonio and New Orleans, those top eight are going to stay the same. Okay. All right. Well, we can probably move on. Want to do hockey? Yeah. So we'll touch real quick on the playoff race in hockey because things are coming down the wire there. So it is a 82-game season. Most teams have now played not quite 70 games, anywhere from, say, 65 to 69 games. So we're coming down to the home stretch here. And the Eastern Conference, you know, is pretty well, I mean, it's pretty well locked in. You got, again, the top eight teams are going to go, and you got Florida, in in order of of their rank here you got florida carolina new york the rangers tampa bay pittsburgh toronto boston and washington and i honestly don't see i mean the next team on that list is columbus but they're so far behind washington i think they're what 15 points out i don't see that happen so i think we pretty much got a lock on the eight teams in the east now the west on the other hand is still up for grabs so at least, at least the eight spot. I think Nashville. I'm hoping uh, Homer Alert Nashville is is going to be an Edmonton or locked in to either the six or seven spots. But I and the eight spot though probably still up for grabs. But you got in again in order rank here. You got Colorado up top, Calgary, Minnesota, St. Louis, Los Angeles, Edmonton, Nashville, and then Vegas. Now Dallas and Winnipeg, and even maybe even Vancouver to a certain degree are still right in that mix because you know Vegas has got what 78 points Dallas at 77 Winnipeg at 76 Vancouver at 73 now Edmonton and Nashville have 81 and 82 respectively but here's the thing uh you know Nashville's got two games you know Vegas has played 69 Nashville 67 so they got two games in hand Edmonton's got a game in hand but Dallas is the one that's interesting to me because they actually got four games in hand right now so they are, what, one point behind Vegas, but with four games in hand because they've only played 65 compared to Vegas' 69. You know, Winnipeg is at 68. 
but so it's going to be fun to watch what happens um i haven't looked at the schedules yet to see kind of who all is playing who in these last sort of 10 12 15 games before the end of the season to kind of get an understanding of how those things might you know get mixed up over the next several games but it's going to be a fun race to watch but outside of that race in the west i think that at least what 15 teams maybe 14 teams are pretty well locked in between the east and west on the playoffs on the hockey and we we talked about last time kind of some of the the players to keep your eye on and and watch with uh, some of those teams in the rookie years uh, that you can are the yeah the rookie years that you can and sets that you can find their uh i should say the rookie sets and years that you can find their cards in i don't know why that was so difficult for me to say but anyway um so yeah so that's the the playoff picture in hockey really hoping our beloved nashville preds can pull it out but at this point i mean i think in the west i don't see how colorado we talked about the move they made before the trade deadline to me my money would be on colorado and the east maybe you know a little more up for grabs um you got florida carolina tampa bay obviously the rangers are up there too but i don't know i might um i might put my money on uh florida and or Carolina's tough, but I might be looking to Florida or Tampa Bay. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> you don't keep up with it I don't as really much. I know with you it, watch so your I couldn't preds. Really give you a very, a very. No, um, I know. But you watch your preds, but that's about it, I suppose. Now, and we've got some uh, educated. Response. We've got some family that are pretty big San Jose Shark fans, and unfortunately, they're not in the mix. You no, know, I just really think that Calgary is just going to win it all this year. Do you? Yeah. yeah. They might. They might. What are they, second? They are. I just kind of looked at the first team I saw, I'm going to be yeah, honest. They're second in the West. That's yeah. a pretty good choice the for the first one I saw. I'll take that. Yeah. So I kind of wish San Jose was in the mix. They have not sure what's happened to them over the last few years. Maybe we get um, your uncle on to talk about that. Yeah. But because uh, he's a big uh, San Jose Sharks guy. or And or your, uh, your cousin. Yeah who's playing up in eastern washington Hockey's we keep such talking an interesting about him sport. yeah he had a good first year up there but he's also a big san jose sharks fan so maybe we need to get them on the show talk about what's going on in san jose all right we have covered a lot of ground i think that's the show is mm-hmm. that the show yes that's the show covered a lot of ground today hope everyone enjoyed it we continue to work on getting some guests lined up for interviews on future shows stay tuned for that because i do think we're going to have a lot more on that in the coming weeks and months ahead. Brandon, go ahead and take us out. All right, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed it today. As we say at the top, please reach out to us. Let us know what you like, don't like, things you'd like to hear more about. We do like to hear from you and get your feedback so we can make the show better and more enjoyable for you. Remember to check us out on social media, like and subscribe, and follow our pages and channels. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. Yep, and tell all of your family and friends about us as well. Encourage them to listen to the show. We'd really appreciate that. All right, show number 23 in the books. Thanks again. We are out of here, and we'll see everyone next Friday, same time, same place, here on the 615 Collector.